Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, good morning. Happy Easter, happy Resurrection Day, uh, happy April Fool's Day. That doesn't feel like it goes together, does it? Happy and April Fool's Day. You know, when I looked ahead on the calendar and I realized Easter was going to occur on April Fool's Day, April the 1st, I thought there's absolutely no way I can't use this. It's too good. It's too rich for me to not exploit. And so I'm totally going to do that, as you are probably suspecting by the very title of the message today. I did a little research on the April Fool's Day tradition. And you know, the interesting thing about April Fool's Day is nobody can say for certain where its origin came from. I think that's telling. I'm telling you, there's just so many indicators here that you can sniff it out and know what's taking place. Some people say it started in the early 1700s. Some people say it started in the early 1500s. It's kind of one of those holidays, though, that doesn't get a lot of attention, but just will never go away. You know what I'm saying? And so I want to say you're welcome for having April Fool's Day on a Sunday. Because if we had not had April Fool's Day on Sunday, you would have forgotten about it. And then you would have gone to work tomorrow and had to deal with that coworker. You know which one I'm talking about, don't you? The one that never forgets April Fool's Day. Like they got the whole day planned and every moment of the day is another April Fool's joke. And everybody else in the office is just going, would you quit? Actually, no, quit. Like so that you leave. Don't come work here anymore. I mean, it's just that kind of a holiday. It's a holiday that doesn't get a lot of attention, but it never goes away, right? Well, I got one more play on the day for us this morning. You received a little nugget. I tried to get the ushers to go, hey, pastor's got some gold for you today, but I couldn't get them to buy into that when they handed it out. So I asked them just to make sure that many of you got these. Uh, I, I want you to know that this is April. I mean, this is a fool's gold. It's very telling of April Fool's Day, right? So I hope you didn't go and make that big purchase with Apple Pay or anything like that because this is not going to cover it. I I hate to tell you that. This is a nugget of iron pyrite. Iron pyrite is the actual mineral of this. And um, it's a very common, it's the most common of the sulfide minerals as a matter of fact. And uh, the reason they call it fool's gold is for obvious reason. It's got that shimmer and it's got that yellowish hue. And on rare occasions, it is found where gold is found in the ground with smaller amounts of the gold. But the interesting thing about this superficial resemblance to gold is really more telling about the iron pyrite than just the look of it itself. For in its natural environment, it is unstable. So it's always being created and destroyed simultaneously. Sounds like life, doesn't it? If you don't believe me, wait till you hit 40. Some of you get there a little earlier, some of you get there a little later, but you will get there. I assure you that. It's always being created and always destroyed. Once it gets exposed to air and water, it immediately begins the process of decomposing. 
So even as you hold it in your hand, it's already going away. I can preach on this now. I'm telling you, this is just all kinds of good stuff. But I wanted to use this today on April Fool's Day. Talk about a little bit of fool's gold for a very specific reason. Because according to the Bible, every person is one of two kinds of fools. One of two kinds of fools. And what we're going to talk about today is simply this. What kind, or rather whose fool, are you? Whose fool are you? And you see, the kind of fool that you are is determined by the gold that you hold. Or the glory that you live for. Another way to say that. And I want to see that today, Jesus makes every person a fool. Every person that either lives for self-glory or lives for God's glory. Two kind of fools, only one glory that lasts. What happens to the other glory? Well, it's already fading away. Let's look at fool number one. This is what I'll call a a worldly fool. And this is what the Bible says about the worldly fool. I'll give you four quick characteristics. First of all, characterized by unbelief. Psalm chapter 14, verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. You see, a worldly fool doesn't believe in Jesus. This is the most complete description of the biblical reference to the word fool. Now, I want to give some understanding because when you use a word like fool, it's not a small word. It's not a trite word that you should throw around casually. As a matter of fact, growing up in my home, this was not a word that we were allowed to use because of the implications of what the scripture said about the word fool. When you call someone that and what it means. And so my parents just said, you, you don't call people fools. That's, that's wrong. And you would never wish that upon them. There was plenty of folly involved in my life, no doubt. But the Bible grants to us an understanding of this word fool that is not belittling and condemning. It's descriptive. It's distinguishing in a specific way. And that's the whole purpose of it. The Bible uses the word fool and folly, the outward disposition of a fool, with the utmost seriousness to draw a sharp contrast between what I'm calling these two kinds of fools today. And the worldly fool, the Bible says, establishes all of life in this first characteristic, a denial of God. The second characteristic that the scriptures lay forth for us is that the worldly fool is self-centered and prideful or pride-rooted in the way that they live. Proverbs chapter 12 verse 15 says that the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, is right in his own eyes. You see, a worldly fool centers all of life in self. There's little need for others except, except when others serve self. You see that distinction there? A worldly fool's denial of God is not simply an intellectual issue, but rather it's an expression for all of life. For the worldly fool despises wisdom and instruction in any and all other sources other than their own life, except except when that wisdom or when that knowledge and instruction panders to, coddles, or accords with their own self-understanding. 
So again, in this characteristic, as long as it serves me, it's okay for me to accept it. When it confronts me, I must reject it. And that's what it means to live prideful and self-centered. So any wisdom or counsel that, that counters self is considered an attack and rejected as such. Self-centeredness roots in a, a lack of the fear of God or a respect for God that is able to then dismiss God. And when one doesn't begin with the fear of the Lord, as the scripture says, it can only lead away from God. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when you don't have that, you never get on the right path to go after God. So all of a worldly fool's life is a matter of walking away from and increasingly so God. So God's word calls a fool, the person who lives a self-centered life, rooted in the pride of their own life. And of course, since life is centered on self, self becomes the only filter then for how one lives. And that brings us to the third characteristic. They live without restraint. Proverbs 29, 11 says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit. Full vent, wide open right? There is no restraint. There's no governor placed on it to restrain it. This is most definitive about the worldly fool and what their life produces because it's recognized by outward actions, the folly, if you will, with which they entertain themselves. And they flaunt this folly by their attitudes and by their actions because they're always counter to and opposed to God's wisdom. There's no need for personal discretion or outside filter. Why? Because self is the one that deems all things sufficient or not. And so everything gets then filtered through this. How does this make me look? And does it bolster or harm myself or my reputation? According to the scriptures, a worldly fool who lives without restraint is more concerned with their reputation, what other people think of them, than they are their character who they really are. And then it goes on to tell us that honor never fits the life of a worldly fool because they just don't go together. They never quite fit. One last characteristic. We come full circle with this one. The fourth characteristic of a worldly fool is that they consider the gospel foolish. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Folly. And as we began with the first characteristic, so we return. A worldly fool is determined by how they respond to the gospel. When a person rejects the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter how nice the no may be presented, they choose to live as a worldly fool running from God in all of life. You see, the Bible says that a worldly fool lives for self-glory, but the one that the world calls a fool lives for a different glory. Now, you might be saying today, Pastor, aren't you being a little sharp with the delineation on this? I mean, it just seems like this is Easter. Maybe you ought to lighten up a little bit, say something that inspires us and let us walk out. But I have a mandate from God not to say what you want to hear, but to say what he's already said. 
And I would be doing you a disservice and my own call a disservice and this church a disservice if I didn't say the things that God has said to us. And so I say to you, it is not my intent, nor do I believe it's the word of God's intent to in any way cast condemnation on a person, to to try and create some kind of, of argumentation. I just simply want to lay down what the scriptures are saying about the gold we hold in life, about the glory we live for in our life, where it's rooted and where it is sourced. And might I just say this to, to, to give some conditioning to our understanding, that I think the very tension that this point brings up when thinking about two kinds of fools is the very tension that the Bible is wanting to exploit to make the point that it is making. For choosing between the two kinds of fools is the decision of life. It's the one decision of life. This decision marks all of life and that makes this conversation of utmost importance for us. You see, friends, what you do with Jesus determines everything by identifying whose glory you live for And that's why I say today, Jesus makes a fool of every person that either lives for glory or lives for God's glory. So then, how is the person who lives for God's glory characterized or distinguished? Well, that brings us to fool number two. And there's really only one characteristic of the fool or the one that the world considers a fool. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to ask you to turn there, either in your Bible or on your uh, mobile device where you have a Bible, hopefully, that you can refer to. And I want you to see that these aren't my words. I'm not giving a preacher word to something else that God's word says. It comes straight from his word. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 says this, and Paul writes for us the tension that the scriptures are exploiting and that we are asking today. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, why did God do this? How did God do this? I want you to skip down to verse 27, just a few verses later, and look at what he says. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise of the world. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong in the world. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now that phrase there that Paul uses, word of the cross, he's not just talking about a single word, but he's using that word, word, as if it's a message that is proclaimed. Basically, he's saying, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word of the cross is our teaching about the person of Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ, the sacrificial atoning death of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and what that 
culminated in the word of the cross means for us. That's what Paul is pointing to. It is what we know as the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to believe in Jesus and his sacrifice upon the cross for us because of the empty tomb with which we gather and celebrate today is to receive the forgiveness that only he can give for sin. He was the perfect sacrificial atoning sacrifice for us. He was the Lamb of God that willingly laid down his life, went to the cross and died so that we wouldn't have to die, but so that the shame and the guilt and the condemnation that was heaped upon us because of our sin has been now forgiven because of him. And not only are we forgiven, but it says we're cleansed. The stain of sin upon our life has been removed. Yes, God has something to get sin out of you. It's called Jesus Christ. Not only are we forgiven and cleansed, but we are redeemed. And friends, where once without Jesus, our life holds no value of glory for God. Why? Because we've missed the mark, the word says. Because our lives cannot bear his eternal glory when we will not trust in him and forsake giving him the glory that is rightfully his. But when we put our faith in Jesus and we are forgiven and cleansed of our sin, he restores value. That's what redemption means. He restores the value of divine and eternal glory into our lives. And so this life lived in this world in the here and the now can actually produce glory that God receives and that will never perish, spoil, or fade. That's what Paul is saying to us. Jesus sets one free to walk with the Spirit of God in the light and in the wisdom of his eternal love. You see, Paul's point in 1 Corinthians is that every person must choose whose fool you'll be. Will you be a worldly fool or will you be one called a fool by the world? And the person who believes in Jesus because of their freedom from shame, from guilt, from condemnation, and from confusion gladly proclaims, I'm a fool for Christ's sake. I'm a fool for Christ's sake. You see, Christians are so glad to be a fool for Jesus that we actually live our life to persuade others to become a fool for Jesus too. To consider this question for their own life, I know whose fool I am, whose fool are you? And I'm not the fool that I am because of me, but by God's grace and by God's mercy and by God's love for me, I'm a different kind of fool today than I've ever been in my life. Because of what he's done for me. Chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, verse 18 and 9, Paul warns. He says this, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. The line of demarcation has been scripted in the sand. There are only two kinds of fools. There is no neutral in between. You are one or you are the other. And Christians boast in Jesus because he makes us God's children and he makes God our loving heavenly father. As we prepared for this series or for this message today, 
Uh, there were three individuals, or actually four individuals, three testimonies in our church that we wanted to share with you. And we've been promoting those through social media the last couple of weeks. I want to show you a compilation of these three testimonies this morning about how these people shared a testimony of how they left being a fool of the world and became a fool called such by the world in their life because of Jesus. Direct your attention to the screens. Coming to Life Point was a very intimidating thing at first because clearly me walking in there, I feel like, hey, somebody's judging me. But, you know, as I got to see more of the people in Life Point, you can just feel the love. You feel it all around. And, you know, meeting uh, Logan or meeting Nathan and just meeting these people throughout the community and then having them in Life Point organization and seeing that these all these are great people and they just want to love on you. I mean, that is uh, an attractive, uh, almost slightly addictive because, you know, we need each other. And being around that just makes you want more and more of it. It's not about, you know, me giving LifePoint the glory. It's not about me giving people the glory. It's, it's about seeing what Christ is doing in LifePoint. And you see it in so many people. You know, that genuine outreach that I want to be, hey, let's bring this together. To the world, it doesn't make sense for us to leave what we have. Um, like people that we talk to, especially our coworkers who aren't believers, they get that we want to help people, but um, they don't get why. If we wanted to help people, we could stay here and help people our whole lives and do it very comfortably. But um, in the world's eyes, it doesn't really make sense for us to leave behind our family and our friends and, you know, a, country and area of the country that we know really well and feel comfortable in. But we're going because Jesus gave us the Great Commission and he told us to go to all nations with the gospel. And there are still so many people that haven't heard of Jesus. They don't even know who he is. Um, and people need to know that they can be saved. There's no other way for them to know um, or to be saved except by Jesus. Um, so that's why it's worth it for us and that's why it makes sense for us. Like in the world's eyes, it makes no sense at all, but when you consider Christ and what he's done and the way that he has called us to grow his church, it makes the most sense of anything. After I lost some friends um, when I graduated high school, I was really struggling to still hold on to who I was and wanting that. And I had a, a boyfriend that I had met in high school and I was really, I, I was sure that he was the one. I was sure that he was the person, um, you know, who was fulfilling this emptiness from those friendships that I had lost. And when he started becoming controlling and violent and abusive, I kept finding excuses because I didn't know who I was without him. And I let that go on for three years of my life. Um, and, and in there, um, I mean, I, I was suicidal. I was, um, I was a shell of a person. I had an eating disorder. Um, I was clinically depressed, had PTSD, a whole number of things. And I, couldn't find happiness. I felt like I couldn't get my head above the water. Um, and I just kept wondering if I was a good person and I was doing everything that I was supposed to do and that God wanted me to do, then why was he doing this to me? And 
And so that's when I really convinced myself that there couldn't be a God because bad things don't happen to good people. Well, I want to introduce you to one of our testimonies uh, on the video. This is Shamar Robinson. Shamar, thanks for uh, giving us a couple of minutes in this service. Absolutely. Are right, you going to talk to them, not to me, okay? But you have to come over here in the light because you get out there, it gets shadowy. Uh, man, I appreciate you sharing that testimony. I still remember the day we sat in the coffee shop and talked about it. And it's the first time really that I got to know you and, and got to hear your testimony. And I appreciate the fact that the first time you walked through the door wasn't the last time. And, yeah. and you, you've kept coming. You, you've invested in our church now. You're in leadership and uh, serving in the church. Would, would you just tell me one thing um, as a follow-up kind of to your testimony? And you can hear the whole testimonies on our website um, uh, of all three testimonies. Would you just share a little bit about uh, the blessing of following the Lord as he's called you? Um, because I know your conversion testimony came out of a very harsh situation in your life of watching a friend of yours die violently. Um, but as you followed the Lord since getting out of high school and a, a young man, has there ever been a time when he's left you alone, when, he's, when you felt like he's deserted you? And specifically, as you're following him now, um, would you say that that would be true as well? So, uh, uh, as far as like whenever I first came to Christ, it definitely, uh, there were times where I felt uh, neglected. Uh, but part of that was just from dysfunction as a child. I would say, uh, as far as my whole journey goes, the, the latter part of my walk has been tremendously uh, uh, like a 360. Um, you know, there were times where I didn't want to give up. There were times where I just want to just stop, stop walking for Christ. But uh, here recently, I would say within the past two years, as I've grown and as I've met more and more awesome people, I would say that the the walk in Christ is is it's not easy, but it's it's worth it. It is so so worth it. And now I'm at a point in my life where. You know, there's a scripture, Psalm 46.10 says, be still, and know that be still and know that I'm God. And I would say that's, part, that's probably the highlight of my whole walk in Christ, just letting go and, and knowing that God really is God and that he can do amazing, impossible, uh, just remarkable things in my life. And to, to say that I'm going to go on my first mission trip this summer, uh, to say that I've got to serve with kids who are changing my heart, you know what I mean, weekly, I would say that this walk in Christ has been absolutely remarkable. And I could, st I could sit up here and, and almost get in tears just to tell you my whole story, but I'm not going to go there. But I will say uh, I am highly, 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 highly motivated here in these last two years, especially as, I, as I've grown with LifePoint and as I've grown in my walk with Christ. Thanks so much. Yeah. Would you thank Shamar for sharing today? Thanks, buddy. Each service featured one of the uh, testimonies that you heard from above, and uh, each resonated the same, the same words that you've heard from Shamar, um, that no, it's not always easy, but yes, God is always faithful. You know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes all the difference between the two kinds of fools. That's why we talk about it on Easter Sunday. Let me turn to one more passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul talks about the resurrection. And here's what I love about these three passages that we're walking through today. The first passage, God delineates 
the difference between the two fools. The second passage, Paul says, you must choose. And he delineates between the two. The third passage is an appeal for you to delineate and to choose between the two. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19, Paul says, If, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And verse 22, he says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. The gospel tells of Jesus' sacrifice and the hope by forgiveness and redemption that we receive from him. But there's more. It's not just about in this life, though it begins here and now. It's about the eternal inheritance that we have. Because in Christ Jesus, we are given a hope that does not spoil, that does not fade, and will not perish. It doesn't last only in this life, Paul says. Because if it did, we would be most pitiful, most foolish of all. But in fact, fact, yes, fact. But in fact, we receive a hope that does not spoil, fade, or perish. For the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves by historical, factual evidence that testifies to what it provides of an eternal power, wisdom, and glory of life in Jesus as Lord. The one who believes in Jesus becomes one the world considers a fool by receiving eternal life by faith. Recently, a famed scientist by the name of Stephen Hawking passed away. One of the most brilliant minds, not only in our generation, one of the most brilliant minds that's ever lived. And this is, you, you can't refute that. His work in physics are credited with many of the advances in modern science. There was an artist published in, article published in the Vox celebrating his life and his influence, and it began this way. Stephen Hawking was born on the anniversary of Galileo's death and died on Einstein's birthday. Like these luminaries, his legacy is immense. I don't know about you, but that's two significant intellectual brilliant individuals to have your life tethered to in comparison and then to even say like these luminaries to be compared with them his legacy is immense the article goes on to record Hawking's discoveries did something physicists love they answered the questions and provoked many 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 new ones and they earned him many top scientific medals and honors But friend, Stephen Hawking's greatness held one limitation according to the Bible. And that's the limitation that we're addressing today. He once famously stated, We are just advanced breed of monkeys on a minor planet of a very average star. But we can understand the universe. This makes us something very special. And to that I would say, indeed, 
Mr. Hawking. That makes us something very special. But it doesn't make us all God created us to be. He was a self-proclaimed atheist. And as we are considering today, that's the one problem that the Bible is addressing. It does not remove the accomplishments that he achieved in his life. It does not remove the status of intellectual elitism by which he proved himself while he lived in his world. But here's what it does. Neither of the great names that tethered his birth nor his death matter for him in his death. And there will be a day when they will not matter at all. Hawking greatly influenced the world, but when he died, his wisdom died with him. And for every person who espouses his wisdom, his wisdom will die one by one with each one of them as well until no more remain. Why is this so? Because the scriptures tell us that rejecting Jesus is a terminal position of belief that ends with the life of the one who holds it and ushers them into an eternity of torment and suffering in hell. Friends, many are famous for their life and the numbers are compounding. Some actually achieve stardom and fame in their death. Jesus distinguishes himself in this way. By his life, by his death, and by his resurrection. And that puts him in a place that none other have dared, nor claimed, nor shall ever achieve. All who reject Jesus receive the due wage for their sin, death. Both in this life and in eternity. Those who believe in Jesus, who repent of their sin and follow him, receive eternal life as their reward by his mercy, by his grace, and because of his great love. Your decision, whether you believe in or reject Jesus, determines your answer to our question for today, whose fool are you? Only fools follow Jesus, says the world around us, says the sin that's raging within us, says Satan as the accuser speaking to us. But this is what Jesus says. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Follow me. That's the words of the one who's in a place all by himself. None before him, none beside him, none that compare to him because of the resurrection. And because of that, Jesus makes every person a fool that either lives for self-glory or lives for his glory. My question for you today is simple. Who's fool are you? Might I offer this simple application? Instead of throwing this little nugget of false gold away that's already decaying, it's already gotten smaller just in our time here together. Let it be a reminder 
that this life is, as the scripture says, but a vapor, a mist in time. Why not keep this to remind yourself there are only two kinds of fools in this world and whether you believe and follow Jesus determines whose fool you are. Today I invite you, I even encourage you to be a worldly fool no longer but to be one considered a fool by the world by believing in Jesus by repenting of your sin and turning away from yourself, putting your trust in him alone and following him as Lord of your life. I conclude with one last quote from a man that the world and many in the world throughout would consider a fool. He not only gave himself for the Lord's work, but he took his whole family and it cost him his life. His name was Jim Elliott. He went to a people that most people in this world will never know. But here's his testimony. He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Friends, I beckon upon you today. The world may call you a fool. But when you believe in Jesus, he'll call you his beloved. Let's pray.